A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everybody, welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Telford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Telford. Hello, Josh Brown, keeping up as I say, pillars of the community, pillars of the podcast scene, keeping everything going. Three podcasts a week, my friend. Wind up main show, probably UBP. This is why I'm drinking so much coffee. <laughs> I've got the coffee in the studio today because, man, otherwise I'm going to just lose my voice. I yeah, think. If, if we don't do it, no one else will. So it's got to be done. Plus, we like doing it. Podcasts are good fun. Speaking of good fun, it's the remainder of the year and the amount of games that are coming from August. I feel like we've had most most of July off. In the UK, it's been raining every single day, at least in the Northeast. So what better time to sit down with various games? But in terms of uh, specific titles and stuff, August is when everything kicks back in. So we've done a big old list of everything coming out in August that seems to be of note um, with the release dates, but we're not going to do it in release order because the first game would then be Baldur's Gate 3. Um, we're just going to go through some stuff. I Most, like it'll kind of fall in order anyway. See, you said this before uh, we started recording, like that explains itself. Why do you hear Baldur's Gate 3, Scott? I know, I Why do you not want to start with that? I huh? just want to talk about Armored Core. That's the thing doing the rounds in the news media to be fair as I'm looking at the list that we've made it actually is in order anyway so I've just moved Baldur's Gate up a little bit fair enough so no. and then the Texas Chainsaw is in the wrong place it doesn't matter Armored Core games is an A out. it makes sense to start there alphabetically yes exactly I'm going to ignore the fact that there's another game on this list beginning with A it doesn't matter yeah, doesn't matter yeah. we start with Armored Core don't worry about it there's one beginning with B as well there's two of them beginning with B but no, it's fine point being Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon currently doing the rounds in terms of hands-on gameplay preview stuff um, which we haven't done we didn't sign up for those things we're going to dive in at launch time. Um, unless Mr. Fromsoft gets in touch beforehand and we'll dive in a little bit earlier. Um, but Armored Core Fires of Rubicon, Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon, coming out on the 25th of August. I feel like that is one of the biggest sort of headline stealers of the, the month overall or potentially of the year yeah. because it's another FromSoft game. But I don't feel like the hype is there for it. It's just kind of like, I think because it's such a vested franchise and it's such a like, there are five previous ones. I've not played any Armored Cores. Right. It's like, I, just, I don't really care. And then when I watched the gameplay, I was like, I actually don't, I, I care less about this now. Yeah. yeah. No, well, the thing is, Right, I think one, it's testament to how strong the year is that a from software game is kind <laughs> of you know flying under the radar, as it were. But mm-hmm. also, yeah, this is definitely a more niche product from them. I am a lapsed Armored Core fan, like right, I can't okay. say I'm hardcore in the community or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed them when I was a kid. I love the level of customization, and as someone who's not really into mechs, I always <laughs> thought that was quite impressive that it managed to get me in. But yep, looking at the previews that have dropped for this game. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily going to win over people who were maybe on the fence or who weren't maybe into the series before Mm. or aren't really necessarily into that style of game. For me, it looked kind of exactly how I expected it I think it it looks gorgeous, like in terms of the art style and everything. I love like the amount of missiles coming at you. The thing that I thought was really fascinating by it, and I am going to check it out, it was just that like, it's one of those things where I've always heard about Armored Core. I've always like seen it be played in various places, but I never played it myself. 
And then watching this, being like, oh, like, levels are, they're about 90 seconds long, apparently, which I guess right. is like a standard armored core thing. But you're sort of like, the customization side of it is really heavy. Then you're throwing your mech into these areas. It's kind of um, almost like tunnel vision. You're charging down different places, taking out various enemies. Yeah. Um, or sometimes they're more like arena fights or whatever. But they're all, it's almost like a fighting game. You're sort of checking in, doing like a quick thing, and then you're back in the customization screen, re-spec your mech, and then go back in again. And I really like the idea of that. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm just, it's going to depend on how checkpointy it is how much mm. like you know how much sort of um progress am i losing like how much fun can i have with the customization it's a weird thing and because i haven't grappled with it yet and it feels it looks so different to everything else especially yes. with from software's rollout across the last 10 years um i'm just curious about it it's not it's not grabbing me yet but i'm curious well this is it this is why i think it's such a funny release because when they announced it i thought that's interesting they're going back to armored mm. core how are they going to take what they've learned over the past 10 years and apply it to this franchise mm. are they going to change the franchise and then i've seen these extensive gameplay previews and I've gone that looks like an armored car game right, okay. I, I like that but like I said it's not going to necessarily convince anyone because yes it does have that style of gameplay where you're jumping in you're crossing these vast areas you're blowing up all of these enemies mm. and to me that gameplay style is very fun it's very frantic it mm. actually reminded me a lot in the trailer um, of Returnal's um, gameplay style Ooh. where you've got like a lot of strafing you've got a lot of um, projectiles coming at you different sort of levels of speed different levels of momentum mm. all of that stuff that you're juggling Mm -hmm. which obviously I'm a huge fan of, and I thought that was very appealing to me. I will agree that some of it looks a little bit impenetrable mm -hmm. still, mm -hmm. and the kind of things that mm -hmm. I bounced off in Armored Call back in the day, I can kind of see myself bouncing off here, and that is kind of more like the UI and the presentation more than anything else, and the kind of bite-sized nature mm -hmm. of it, and I'm using that relatively, of course. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. It didn't necessarily blow me away, but the previews that were saying this just feels incredible yes. to actually play moment to moment. I definitely, FPS, baby. I definitely get that <laughs> from the gameplay videos itself. So it's going to be an interesting um, title once it drops, I think. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, I just, I'm very curious how it plays. There's a lot of aerial combat going on. It's weird because it's so mech focused and assumedly there is this bigger scale to it, but you're fighting other mechs of the same size in areas that are really big and like valleys and everything. So the sense of scale isn't, doesn't, you might, it could be anything. You could be playing as humans, you could be playing as superheroes, like in terms of the, um, the scale side of it. This is where I'm going to disagree with you, Please do. because I was watching the Vati Vidya um, yes. big deep dive the into video. the game. Yes, yeah, yeah. very good. Um, <laughs> and they had some gameplay in there where they were kind of fighting in these larger scaled areas mm. with these massive structures and honestly the big takeaway for me was oh the scale looks really impressive here you know <laughs> just in terms of how it was positioning you sometimes as this kind of tiny mech in this massive landscape okay. against these massive structures and I hope to see more of that in the game itself rather than what you were kind of getting I want to step on some humans I, think, with their, yeah, I no. want to pick a human up and throw them at another human rather than just mishing around these um, kind of barren Right. landscapes that do kind of feel like a little bit nondescript mm. and kind of lose that sense of bigness that you kind of want. For me, I'm going to be really interested if you get it to see how you take to the customization mm. aspect because obviously like these games are kind of meant to be replayed with different builds in mind, mm -hmm. like swapping in parts, completely changing your play style um, and whatnot. And uh, that was kind of the thing that always drew me to it, the level and extensiveness uh, over the control that you had over the mechs and the weapons that you were using. Like I would spend most of my time in the screen Right, doing okay. that rather like than what playing the game. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Rather than playing the game. And I don't know if I have the patience for that now because it felt so novel back in right. the 2000s. Like no one else was really doing that or at least that I knew of <clears> at the time. But mm -hmm. now I've kind of, I've done that and I want to see how they're innovating on that and I want to see how de deep 
that is going through. Like, I, I hope it's dense AF. Like, it reminds me a lot of, like, the if you really want to get stuck into, like, Forza or Gran Turismo's car customization stuff, and you can, like, tweak every little valve in a car. Yeah. And I, I sometimes like doing that stuff, but I don't know enough in real life about exactly how much a car... I can go to a point, but then it's like, I hope that they've done that for mechs. It's like, you are literally, like, you know, customizing every last part of this mech. Um, but yeah, just the idea that like, the, next, the next game from the Elden Ring folk is just out in another few weeks. That's kind of nuts. I know that it's, like, an old-school IP, but still. I love that from software just do what they want and yeah. they're not beholden to <laughs> franchises. I know this is a big franchise, but it's mm-hmm. not anywhere near on the same level as a Dark Souls or an Elder Ring or a Bloodborne or even a Sekiro. Mm-hmm. And I like that they have this massive hit that they dropped last year and they're like, yeah, but we've also got this cool you know, niche return to a franchise that we haven't touched in a long, long time mm-hmm. and we're going to focus on that next and then move on to the next big when thing. When are they going like to do a new Tenchu? Throwing that up. When are they going to do a new Tenchu? That's the only thing that they put their name to over the years that they've not gone back to. Hey, if they can do an armored core just for me, they mm-hmm. can do a Tenchu just for you. You would think so. You would hope so. Um, it's interesting noting that um, Armored Core is published by Bandai Namco again, and it's like, I feel like they sort of dabble. They did Bloodborne with Sony, and like Activision did Sekiro with them, and Bandai uh, Namco just seem to be the ones that are just like, you guys do you. Yeah. And yeah, we're just, we're cool with you just doing you, um, and that results in them doing another Armored Core. That's a good point. You know, obviously they have this history with Bandai Namco, but then they went to Activision for Sekiro, which yeah. remains like the weirdest move <laughs> ever. Like, I have no idea how that happens like, still. Uh, top, that was a top dancing over laser beams to get that game Absolutely. over the finish line in their own way. Absolutely. There's not a whiff of Activision in that thing. It makes me wonder what we'll see next, because obviously we know that there is DLC <clears throat> coming out for Elden Ring. Mm. Is that all we get from them next year? Presumably now, well, I can't that, see that dropping this year. There but. was that rumor or whatever. There was like Brandon Sanderson talked about writing Elden Ring 2. There yeah. was that thing about he was the next like tapped author. Like, I love the idea that the Elden Ring franchise has different tapped authors every time. Um, and just bring them in to do a different game. And there was something that seemed to be around the idea of the next Elden Ring already being in motion and mm. whatever. And like their um, their turnaround is one game nearly every year anyway. So it's like, I mean, there's like this conversation on social media about how much they're reusing the same engine over and over again. But for me, I thought it looked gorgeous in Armored Core. So I'm like, I'm always going to be gameplay focused anyway. I mean, I like those kind of visual innovations. And mm. I, I must admit, going into Elden Ring, one of the best games of all time, mm-hmm. like there was a tiny part of me, like a no point, no, no point, no. Not, not, not 1% part of me that was like, I kind of wish this looked like the Demon Souls remake. But right, ultimately, right. I don't care because even though they do reuse a lot of assets, they've not made a below 9 out of 10 game for me yet. No. And they've released so many games over the past 10 they, years, and that's crazy. Yeah, they continue to be on the form of their careers. Like, at the minute, Elden Ring is the apex. I don't think Elmacore is going to beat that, but I don't no. think it's meant to either. I think this is just meant to be like, we can do this at this point. We can't. just. But by the way, we can also satisfy these hardcore fans and make one of the most in-depth like uh, mech customization games ever, um, which is cool. Um, Baldur's Gate, you mentioned at the beginning, and that's the first game of August, uh, first big game of August, out, out on the 3rd of August. I don't have the stomach for this right now. I just did a whole bunch of Diablo. Did a whole. I've done about seven JRPGs in a row. Of I can't course. do this as well. Neither can I. But <laughs> as someone who is not at all invested in this franchise, uh-huh. the more I see about Baldur's Gate three, the more I think, God damn, I'm going to have. It to looks play gorgeous, it. and it's dropping in August on PC, mm-hmm. but it's not coming to at least the PlayStation consoles until September, where it's okay. going hilariously, I think, head-to-head with Starfield. So we'll no <laughs> doubt talk about it again when we go when we talk about, like, September's releases. But, uh-huh. yeah, this is something that I'm totally with you. I can't stomach right now, but I am very excited to eventually get to set the time aside and see what all the fuss is about, mm. because I've not played one of these before. I've heard about its reputation. You never played Dark Alliance? Nah. Oh. Never played any of these things. Never been a Dungeons & Dragons guy, Scott Silver. What can I say? Yeah, okay, okay. Um, but this 
one, just the way they're talking about it, the level of depth that seems to be there. As an RPG fan, I'm looking at that thinking, oh, you bastards, you might have got me in here. <laughs> you got me in. I feel like, um, yeah, Baldur's Gate, my only frame of reference is the, Doc, is the two Dark Alliance games, and the first one is like one of my most treasured game experiences of all time, something I play with my best friends across high school. Every weekend we would just play Baldur's Gate, and um, so I absolutely loved the IP back then, but I feel like it's sort of, obviously it's kept going, but this is a huge deal. This is a return to like, you know, like the, the foundations kind of thing, and they're giving it to Larian, who are like the Divinity Original Sin team. It's yes. like if you're going to give it to a um, like a well-known team at this point, an expert a team full of experts, then um, that feels like a marriage made in heaven kind of thing. So, yeah, I haven't got that much more to say on Baldur's Gate, but I feel like it'll be what I thought Diablo was, ah, um, okay. where it's like a, just a meaty top-down RPG experience. Diablo gets in its own way too much. There's too many random, like, teasers for loot and season passes and whatever, and the fact that the enemies age, age, um, level with you makes the whole thing pointless, where I'm just like, well, what even is this? Um, Diablo is a weird thing. <laughs> it's just a weird... I feel like I'm locking myself in a cupboard playing it. I'm just sort of like, I'll go in here for a bit, and I'll come out and I feel nothing. I can't believe you're still playing it, to be honest. I like, keep delving, well, I haven't delved in in a couple of weeks, but I keep delving back in because I want to get my money's worth. I paid 70 bones for the damn thing. Understandable. So I'm like, I should play a bit more of it, but it's just the same thing. It's just the same. <laughs> Nothing happens in it. I just don't, I don't understand it. I thought you would play Diablo before. You, you, That's what I bounced off. I right. tried Diablo 3 about five, I've got like five copies of Diablo 3 because I keep <laughs> getting it on different systems over the years. I was like, no, it must be me. It, m it can't be the game. It must be me. Everyone loves this game. I, I'm going to play more of it. And then I was like, well, Diablo 4, I love the art style a lot more. I, I like Diablo 3, fine enough. But yeah, I bounced off three like five six times i was like oh diablo 4 gotta be the one it looks gorgeous i'll give it a shot it's the same thing listen i know this was a long time ago but i did a similar thing with diablo 2 where mm. i was loving it while i was in it like right. i love the art style i love the gameplay loop but then when i just kind of took a few days away from it i kind of had the realization of why would i why would i go back <laughs> I've, I've kind of i've got my fill yeah. of that and then i never touched it again so i, I suspect something might happen with diablo 4 i still want to play it but uh -huh. like you said for 70 pounds it's a big investment. Diablo 4 as well, like the opening is so strong and like, you know, you're hanging out with Ralph Einstein, like Big Old Finchie's uh, the one bringing you in and the opening is so good. There's way more story in there than I was ever expecting and it's nice and haunting. It's really gothic and awesome but then when it opens up and like you, it takes forever to get a mount and it's just like you're just going place to place, the dialogue, it's well written enough but there's just nothing there. It's just like, oh, evil force needs to be vanquished. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. Like, what, what else is there to this? Um, but anyway, Baldur's Gate, I feel like will be a more authored version of what I thought and it won't be... Um, um, I think Larry and I are too... Uh, they're too good a team to be sort of brought in by too many microtransactions and things like that. Hopefully, hopefully. hopefully. I know it's been in early access for a while and it's yeah. finally getting like the proper release now. It's a game for me that I'm going to keep my eye on, but I just don't know when I'm going to fit it in. Yeah. Obviously, I won't be able to play it until September and it comes out the day um, as Starfield, my most anticipated game of the year, so I'll be <laughs> prioritizing that. Baldur's Gate, if it reviews well and people are enjoying it, I'm kind of already mentally setting aside mm. as my January game. You know, January is usually a write-off. It's for catching up on things. <laughs> Maybe I'll have enough time in that month to get into a big, chunky beast like mm. uh, like this. Get into a big, chunky beast. That's Ironically, that's exactly what the Baldur's Gate 3 footage is showing. Is that right? You might yeah. not know what that's in for reference to, but the people who do will know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Very good. The bear on Disney+. Plus. But also, um, yeah, I feel like the way that this is coming together, like I need it to be as co-op-y as Dark Alliance was because I want to be able to play through it with my wife and go through the whole thing. We did a big chunk of um, Divinity Original Sin together, but we didn't finish it. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm hoping that Baldur's Gate is a bit more propulsive overall than that. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is out on the 18th of August. I don't care about this game, but you do. Oh, I really do, man. I really do. And it, I'm not, as I've got on record saying a bunch of times, I'm not even someone who necessarily loves the asymmetrical multiplayer gimmick, mm. but I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love Friday it. the 13th, to be honest. You, you love Friday oh, the 13th. Dude, it's so good. See, I could never like, fully get into it. 
it. I okay. played like a decent chunk of it, especially when it came to, I think it was PlayStation Plus, Game yep. Pass, one of those things. I tried to get into it and enjoyed myself, but mm-hmm. could never really crack that. Could never really crack Dead by Daylight. No, and But I'm hoping this is the one. I really am. And I think it's because this is the franchise that I kind of adore. Like, I like even the bad Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm the only person on earth who defends the one with Rene Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey in it. When you, when you said plural, I was like, is there more than one? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah they, they did the reboot thing? <laughs> they did the reboot okay. thing. But this, like I said, I'm hoping it's the one that gets me in because I think aesthetically it looks like as gritty and as grimy as you'd kind of want. <laughs> and yeah, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about it. I'm going to wait to see how it reviews. Mm. But like Call of Duty Warzone was the game that kind of cracked Battle Royales for me. I'm hoping this mm. is the game that kind of cracks asymmetrical multiplayer games. Because I love Evil Dead, but I yes. wouldn't necessarily class that in the same kind of realm as the other games we were just talking about because that's so much more offensive-based. And this one, right. I know, does have more offensive capabilities and there is kind of more variation in that respect. But, mm-hmm. like, Evil Dead was practically a four-player co-op shooter as much as it well, was this thing. asymmetrical hide-and-seek thing. Yeah, I'll say that I, I love Friday the 13th, but it, it's because it worked as a multiplayer game. Like, I had a room full of people. We were taking turns. Like, that was what it worked at. Everyone's pointing at, like, oh, my God, he's right over there. Like, hide in the bush, do whatever. Like, I um, I, can't, I don't think it... I, it obviously would work to a point if you were just sitting in a room by yourself, but I it almost needed the like meta teen horror vibe of like we're all screaming and we're all like ch- it was like you know I just add alcohol made that work right so it was like I don't know if that would work more solo but I feel like Texas Chainsaw if you were playing that with a, r- a room full of people and you're trying to survive as long as you can past the controller thing I hope so and um, that was what made that work for me and um, yeah that's out on the 18th Atlas Fallen is out on the 10th um, of August and I feel like Atlas Fallen is kind of just gonna, I, I don't think it's going to bomb but it's it's so overlooked I feel like obviously there's the whole thing going on with Lords of the Fallen which was uh, Atlas Fallen is the next game from that that team from Deck 13 who did the original Lords of the Fallen in 2014. I never knew there was that weird shakeup with um, the sequel was announced. Um, I forget who their publisher is, but the sequel was announced after 2014. I think it was in 2017 when they announced the sequel. Um, but it's not the original devs. They went away and did and are now doing Atlas Fallen, which is more of like a sci-fi infused open kind of. It looks like it's set in like various deserts and kind of. Th- it's like a way more open-ended thing. And then the Lords of the Fallen sequel has been given to Hexworks. So it's like all of the kind of the cultural cachet, whatever there is of Lords of the Fallen, I feel like it's a known name because it did the rounds in 2014, is now going towards the new Lords of the Fallen game, which I forget the name of. It's like Lords of the Fallens. Yeah, just like the Lords, the Lords of, of the, the Fallen. Fallen, I think. And so that's kind of taken their thunder. And I, I feel sorry for Deck 13 because I actually really did like the original Lords of the Fallen, more for the time, more for just because of the, the year it released in. We didn't have a shiny Dark Souls at the time. Um, it felt like a nice, fun... Like I liked it as a chunky, almost war, World of Warcraft-style art aesthetic thing mm. applied to Dark Souls. And I can get on with giant shoulder pads and everything else. Right. So I had, a, I had a lot of fun with Lords of the Fallen. But I feel like Atlas Fallen deserves the whatever hype you want to apply to the new Lords game. Like, Atlas Fallen is that team. So if you ever cared about Lords of the Fallen, the original, you should care about Atlas Fallen and not the new Lords of the Fallen. He's where I'm hilariously going to have <laughs> the exact opposite opinion from you here right. because I'm looking forward to the Lords of the Fallen this year <laughs> precisely because it's not that original team. Okay. Like, I did not 
vibe with the original game at all. Those kind, that kind of aesthetic that you're describing yeah, yeah. there was not get for the me at all. Get the kind of the, the almost sluggishness of the gameplay. Mm. I didn't necessarily. It was love quite slow. Either, yeah, which I don't mind games being slow. I mean, I've played loads yeah, the of twin builds Souls, a bit like, faster. but there was something about it. It just didn't feel as good as mm. I wanted it to feel. And um, but looking at the trailers for the new version, I'm kind of pleased that they've reinvented it the way they have, at least from the trailers. I'm mm. like, yeah, maybe this looks more like a Souls clone mm-hmm. than the original ever did, but it kind of looks like something that I want to play way more. And Atlas Fallen, sadly, um, and it sounds like I'm personally attacking the developers here. I'm not. It's just <laughs> too unfortunate aesthetics. I didn't love their aesthetic on the Lords of the Fallen, and I really don't like it on Atlas Fallen. I don't love either. it either. I'm just I'm just curious what they're doing because I feel like um, it's one of those things where like I feel like Lords of the Fallen got brought up a lot, obviously, since 2014, and I'm just curious what that team does next. And I feel, I'm going to mention Immortals of Avium uh, soon, but I feel like Atlas Fallen and Immortals of Avium have the same aesthetic yeah. where it's like you, you're making a game that is geared towards loot coloring. Like it's geared towards, you know, pops of gold, blue, purple, whatever against a more beige backdrop so that they pop more and I feel like it's it's. I mean the default is it's very Fortnite but it is like in terms of the, the loot colours being the, the thing that draws your eye that is what they're going towards and that's the thing that dominates um, Immortals of Avium's art style for me yeah. which to me is extremely off-putting I um, said this when we were talking about the conferences around mm-hmm. what was known as E3 season some <laughs> games fest season I guess yeah, you yeah. describe it as now and this aesthetic is like my least favourite aesthetic right now that kind of fantasy sci-fi um, mix of these bright colors, this kind of futuristic looking armor, mm-hmm. juxtaposed with these really bland, in my opinion, orange deserts. I just, I, <laughs> there's something about that that just puts me off okay. instantly, which is, which is maybe really harsh because the games might be incredible. I just find it, I find it very uninspired that a lot of these games are kind of going down that route. And mm. I've just, I've had my fill of these, of fighting in these barren deserts, Scott Tilford. I want more <laughs> environmental design. Even Final Fantasy 16. I was just Dalmechia. Yeah, yeah, I really loved, but when I got to Dalmechia, it managed to, you know, vary it up enough with those lush kind of ravines that mm. were, you know, going through and like really interesting mountainscapes. But sometimes you were just in a bland desert firing off these really colorful spells. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see that and my brain just shuts down in the same way that gray modern military first person shoot was in yeah. the late 2000s kind of shut my brain down. Yeah, I feel like it's become the, it's, I don't think it's overused just yet, but we're right on the cusp of it. I think once Immortal comes out and um, the one that we just said comes out, um, I feel like Forspoken sort of had that as well. It Definitely. wasn't in deserts, but it was in that just big open world with colorful spells in the middle. Like there's something about that that is already getting quite tiresome. I think Destiny ran it into the ground as well. Um, it's just, it's that sort of like, I don't know, amalgamation of um, Destiny's art aesthetic, Fortnite's art aesthetic, or just generic loot stuff. How do we make you notice the loot popping off the character? This was better. Or the spell. At least it looked better, I think, than the games we've just talked about. But even in Jedi Survivor, a game that I love, when you got to like the desert planet mm. and you were kind of running around there, I just thought, ah, I've done this so oh, many times. Desert's the new sewers. Maybe. Just so maybe. I don't want to be here. No, just, no. just put me anywhere. I'm sick of being in the sewers. I see a desert level and I'm like, why have none of you taken cues from the Mad Max game, which made deserts interesting. Yeah, yeah if you're gonna put me in a desert, have me um, besieged by various warriors or like some sort of thing that like uh, gives me something to do. But yeah, Atlas Fallen um, is out on the 10th. Lords of the, the Lords of the Fallen isn't out until October. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious if you're ever a Lords of the Fallen fan, it's just kind of interesting seeing how much they pivoted and how much, at least to me, I feel like the optics of that game is it's just buried. I feel like that original dev team is kind of largely buried and the brand has taken over and the, Lord, the Lords of the Fallen is the thing that's getting all the eyeballs. Um, Bomb Rush Cyber 
Cyberpunk's out on the 18th of August. Now, uh, this is such a, like, cult revival kind of game. It's the Jet Set Radio spiritual successor. Um, and I'm blanking on the name of the composer, but I'm sure they have, they've got the original composer back. Yeah. Um, Jet Set Radio was just like a cel-shaded Tony Hawk's to A lot of people are a cel-shaded aggressive inline, if you want to do a deep pull. Because <laughs> uh, it was more, it was rollerblady um, on Dreamcast or whatever. And then there was a PlayStation 2 version as well. Um, it just is that, that sort of, like, trend that we had a lot of across the last couple of years where a lot of big publishers wouldn't greenlight a remake or wouldn't just re-release a game. So a lot of indie teams were like, fine, we'll do it ourselves. Mm. Like Dangerous Driving, doing it for Burnout or something like that. Um, or uh, there was like that game that was like Advance Wars as well. Um, but yeah, it feels like one of them. It feels like it's just the team going like, Sega won't put Jet Set Radio out for whatever reason. And I think a remake has since been confirmed. Yeah. Um, probably because of this. Um, but that's finally out on the 18th of uh, August. I don't know if you've seen any screenshots or anything. Not seen a screenshot. Very colorful, Josh. Didn't know what this game was until you described it oh. as a Jet Set Radio inspired um, title. There's something about like those kind of games um, <laughs> that I aren't my thing right. because I love Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, but I kind of love that because it's kind of baked into at least a little bit of realism. Obviously, mm. the skateboarding itself is incredibly arcadey and silly. I know what you mean. But you're using like realistic quote-unquote locations, you're using the realistic skateboarders, you're using the realistic brands. Mm -hmm. um, and when kind of, I know this isn't necessarily the same thing, but when a sports game or whatever mm -hmm. kind of just becomes, you're only playing it for an exaggerated version of the sport. Mm -hmm. I'm never necessarily there for that. Like the reason I love- That's entirely why I'm there. Well, this is it, right? The reason I love football games <laughs> is because they have like the official teams and I want to play as my favorite teams and my oh, favorite okay. players and see my favorite stadiums. And um, so when they, when when those games don't have it, I'm like, well, I'm not here to play a football necessarily. You right, know what I mean? right. I'm here to simulate at least whether, whether that's like a real simulation or just kind of in terms of um, seeing a realistic representation of the things that I already see mm. in real life, and um, I want to simulate that side of it. I'm not oh, there just do. for the for the moment to moment gameplay. I, uh, I'm all for arcade sports. Like I want uh, I want my arcade racing games, I want my arcade sports games. Give me red card soccer any day. I'll take that over any Pro Evo or, or FIFA. Obviously, the old wrestling games. I think we talked about this when yeah, yeah. Hamlet, my, uh, Michael mm. Games Hamlet, was on the podcast. And <laughs> um, those old wrestling games like SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain and SmackDown just bring it. They're obviously exaggerated. They're heightened. They're fantasy in yeah. a lot of ways. But because they had the realistic wrestlers, they had um, authentic moves that they would use, they had the authentic arenas, mm. like I managed to love them way more than I did any of the arcade wrestling um, games that I played that kind of just used their likeness but got too mm. silly with it. There's something about... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates 
fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. These kind of level games, of authenticity that you want in this. That's exactly yeah. it. That I need to kind of straddle that line between pure arcade fun but a level of authenticity as right. well. And I know that I have, we've kind of gone off on a tangent, and I shouldn't even, like, criticize this game for that, and I absolutely <laughs> am not. I just thought that was something something I look for, and I don't know if I'm just being weird about that, or no, if I think, else does well, that. Back in the day when, uh, when Jet Set first came out, I didn't. I remember it was one of Jules' favorite games, and I remember when we first started, when I first met him in, like, 2015 or 16 or whatever, we, took, we bonded a bit over Jet Set, but I never adored Jet Set. I was always a Tony Hawk's fan, and yeah. it was, like, it wasn't because of the more re- realistic side, but I always thought Tony Hawk's was more malleable. By the time the Jet Set came to PlayStation 2, Tony Hawk's, I think, was on Tony Hawk's 2 or 3, so you were doing manuals, you were chaining stuff together more, there was just more of a flow to that game, and I love the aesthetic of Jet Set because it is cell shaded and I love Sega music it's like in my veins and so like I was like this should be my dream yeah. and at the time it just didn't flow like Tony Hawk's did and so I'm kind of hoping that because um, you know you've learned all these lessons from the last 20 plus years of um, you know like uh, skateboarding games or whatever and we've got the Tony Hawk's remakes that they can compare to or whatever I mean this has been in development for ages um, that they can just do a gorgeous like you know Sega backed I mean Sega music sounding thing yeah. without being official um, skateboarding game and the composer is called Hideki Naganuma um, I didn't um, know his name before, but yeah, it just it has all the the right vibes. I just sick, hope man. it plays well. It looks gorgeous, um, so I'm looking forward to that. That's um, out on the 18th. Um, Immortals of Avium, like we mentioned before, out on the 22nd of August. Anything else you want to say about that? I like that it exists. Mm. I like that it's an EA Originals. I like that they're doing something a little bit different. It's visually not for me, but it's one mm. that I'm not going to write off. I'll wait for reviews to see how well it does. Mm-hmm. What the critical consensus it is consensus is Mm -hmm. maybe i'll jump in if it like gets a price drop or if it comes to a game pass or Mm -hmm. playstation plus equivalent but yeah ultimately the aesthetic is kind of a big barrier between me and the game a weird thing, right? I, I don't know if it's just me, but you know Ghostwire Tokyo, how it was, you were using projectiles, you were ostensibly shooting enemies like like with a gun, but yeah. from your hands. There's something about Spellcraft in first person that puts me off, ah. and I just, I didn't finish. I love all the idea of like twisting, you contorting your hands like Scarlet Witch, and you do all these like cool finger movements and cool spells come out, and whatever. I like that in theory, but there's something about, it was in Ghostwire Tokyo, and it looks like it's in Immortals of Avium as well, where it's, it's like, just give me a gun, just let me have the speed of the weapon kind of thing, where instead of the, there's only so fast that things will fire out of hands it seems in yeah. some of these games and there's something that's a little bit off in terms of the uh, the feel like I'd never finished Ghostwire Tokyo even though I loved everything about it other than the gameplay because um, it just kind of devolved into too much open world you know uh, checkbox stuff um, so it's one of those things where I'm curious about Immortals of Avian, but it's already up against the art style, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to support it because it is like a new IP, and it has the budget, um, and it's backed by EA and everything. And it's sort of one of those ones that I imagine EA shareholders slash the people at the top will say, well, we did the original thing, and no one bought it. Yeah. And it's just like, I want to be able to support it um, and hope that it's better than it looks so far, I guess. Yeah, I agree as well. You know, I can't, I'm, This is the game on this list that I'm like really wanting to be good. I want, it, I want the story to be interesting. I want the gameplay to have that. Um, energy to mm. it 
but I also agree with you that that kind of first person spellcraft thing, I don't mind it. I think it like works really well on controller, but because there are a few VR games that do the exact same thing, mm. um, obviously I'm looking at this thinking, I wish I could play this in yeah, VR. I yeah. want to play this in VR because that obviously lends itself so well to mm-hmm. like the hand tracking and like you're literally casting. Oh, the PSVR 2 spells. as well, like yeah. specific fingers and everything. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm, I know there are a few games like that already, but obviously not necessarily with the budget mm. of um, this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those ones that I, when they randomly announced it, it was like, oh, this looks kind of cool, looks kind of fresh. And then obviously you see the loot stuff that we mentioned before, and then it's the EA logo. And I was like, ah, I, I love the EA Originals line, like so far, like Unravel and It Takes Two, and um, that one with the prison escape thing. Uh, Way Out. Way Out was awesome. And it's just like, yeah, I like EA having EA Originals. And I wanted, like, I almost want to support that just to prove to the rest of the company that it's worth doing. And um, I feel like EA is kind of rounding the bend on the, the end of their sort of multiplayer microtransaction push like the baton of hate's been passed to warner brothers at the minute yeah and so it's like ea's doing all the single player stuff and star wars and whatever um but yeah that's out on the 22nd so we'll go see how that thing goes down um blasphemous 2 is out on the 24th of august to oh, yes. dominate your life i cannot wait for blasphemous <laughs> 2 man you know we just talked about art styles yes. there, and they're incredibly important to me like they can make or break a game they can get me interested in mm. something they can put me at a distance or something and i'll never forget just seeing the first Blasphemous years after it came out yeah. in a PlayStation sale, looking at the key art. I'm been amazed that you picked it up. Yeah, then jumping into the screenshots, and even though, like, well, at the time I thought it was more of a 2D platformer mm. than it was like a 2D Souls-like game. But just looking at the art style, I thought I need to play this. You right. know, I need to try it out, and I jumped in and I loved it. I thought it was like just dripping with atmosphere. Loved the design. Thought the combat itself was like really, really engaging. Yeah. It was challenging. It was difficult, but it was really satisfying. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that game, I was kind of in love. So mm-hmm. I've been looking forward to Blasphemous 2 all year. And I think it comes out like the day before Armored Core, or really close to a Armored Core. And for as much as I love FromSoft, (laughs) I think it's a testament to how much of an impression the first game made that Blasphemous 2 is above Mm. it on the list, probably. I feel like for Blasphemous, it's like there was that uh, couple of games, Salt and Sanctuary, that were like the 2D Souls games. And they they are and they aren't. Like UI-wise, they are. Art style-wise, they didn't do it for me. I thought the character models were too like cutesy and a bit too rounded, even though it is overall a dark aesthetic. Blasphemous nails the Souls vibe without feeling like a Souls ripoff. It just feels like it's directly inspired by it. And it has that gross out kind of oh my god what the hell is that creature thing coming at me vibe um, and it, like you said it just plays so well I feel like it is kind of overlooked as like a, in the when we talk about like you know really like landmark 2D stuff like the Shovel Knights of the World or whatever um, Blasphemous and the Hollow Knights like Blasphemous deserves that audience like it definitely has it because it's been able to get a sequel um, but yeah I'm curious what they add to it because I thought yeah. it was pretty I mean I never finished Blasphemous 1 I feel like I put a lot of time into it but I just didn't finish it and I'm curious what they add to it like do they end up bringing in some stuff like what Elden Ring's done like more support things to make sure people do get through it yeah. or whether they double down on the difficulty side of it. It's interesting because the first one had this really, um, again, Dark Souls inspired, like, into, well, I guess more, probably more Metroidvania inspired, yeah. like interconnected world where, you know, you couldn't get to everywhere initially. Oh, you could, but the enemies were too tough yeah. that, you know, you were just getting slapped back to the, <laughs> to, the, to the checkpoint every time. But I wonder how they literally build on that, maybe mm-hmm. adding more layers, maybe adding more verticality, maybe adding more biomes that you can go through that you can, you know, use to kick shortcuts down to other levels um, mm-hmm. and environments. I think that's a cool way to build on it. Like, same with the bosses. The bosses in the first game are spectacular to look at and they're spectacular to fight. Mm-hmm. I didn't play the DLC in spite of how much I loved the game. Just, you know, it was one of those that I... It just felt done. I had like, a, yeah, kind of. I, I loved my time with it that I almost didn't want to kind of test the waters. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was so much other stuff coming out. But 
obviously with this being a proper sequel, I I agree with you. I want to see what they've uh, added, and yeah. what they've refined, how they've made the original better, um, and how I think because I loved Blasphemous Blasphemous One, but when I played Hollow Knight, I kind of thought, oh, this is it. This is okay. how you do uh, a kind of like Souls inspired Metroidvania two D mm. action game in an interconnected world, and I want to see kind of Blasphemous kind of go for that crown and be like, okay, you're, you're in my opinion, um, Hollow Knight, you're like the absolute king of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You're like right at the very top. Mm-hmm. Let's go toe-to-toe with you with that. That'd be cool if, yeah, they're like more sort of, because um, the movement in Blasphemous is almost one of the biggest identifying factors. Like it has like a weight to it. You're not ping-ponging around the screen too much like you kind of are in Hollow Knight or whatever. Yeah, I'm curious about it. It's one of those things that I always wanted to finish, but at some point I was just getting slaughtered by bosses and enemies. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. Um, but it's, it is extremely well put together. Um, next one down, you've got a Firewall Ultra on the 24th. Yes, finally, this has got a release date as of last week. This is the v- PS. SVR 2, um, I think, first party, first person shooter. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to bring it up. I'm not going to spend too long on it because it's PSVR 2. Uh, but I'm really worried about it. Scott. <laughs> I'm really, really worried about it. They've kind of been strangely quiet about the game all year. Kind of with they, PSVR 2, you'd barely even know it was a thing. Well, e- even then, it, with PSVR 2, yeah, they've fumbled the bag in sort of selling it. But at least they kind of put a, bu- a big focus on it, I thought. Yeah. Their PlayStation Showcase, you know, they, sh- they showed off a bunch of games, but they didn't show Firewall Ultra. Mm. And I thought for a big PSVR 2 title that's coming out this year. Why didn't mm-hmm. you show it? It wasn't mentioned in their shareholder presentation when mm-hmm. they did their yearly thing about upcoming titles. So I honestly thought it might have got delayed outside of this year, but they have confirmed the August release date. They showed off a new trailer, and it just looked a little bit janky. Right. After playing stuff like Pavlov, which is, I think it's running on Unreal Engine 5, like looks beautiful, nice. has this great sense of tactility you know you've got like manual reload you've got all of this stuff that you can do inside the virtual world Mm -hmm. what they showed off and the things that they've said about there being you know no manual reloads or anything like that Mm -hmm. in the game i just kind of wonder if it's not going to be as advanced or as um pushing the kind of bought out with its mechanics compared to the original that like i think a lot of people are expecting i think it's going to play maybe too similar to the original which Mm. was great for the tech that it was on but now with the advancements that psvr 2 has made and Mm. how good those controllers are i kind of want to see that gameplay be properly leveled up and just from what i've seen from it so far I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I want it to be really good. I want it to su- to surprise us. I want it to, it to be better than the trailers suggest. But it's got a weird vibe around the game, man. I don't know. Yeah, I think for uh, yeah, it's one of those things with PlayStation. It's my overall thing with PSVR two, and I'm still waiting to see an experience where I where I got. Oh my god, I need to try that. I, I always thought there would be something like something like Spider Man VR or whatever. Like it would, I need to see something where it's being played where I just I need to do it. I did think that the original um, Firewall, like just watching clips of that, where I was like, it is almost like a Rainbow Six Siege, but um, you're like you're actually. Physically taking cover, like you're crouching down and like nailing headshots, and I was like, "That's really cool." You're like, like bending the weapon like up and over cover to get the shot and everything. And um, there's more you can do with that with the more advanced tracking and, like you said, with the finger tracking and everything. Precisely. Um, so yeah, so hopefully there's more too. I wonder if because the original was sort of like this barely talked about thing that then suddenly spiked and was like the most one of the most essential VR games. If they're hoping for the same thing, they don't want to hype it too much or something. Oh, I don't know because that's maybe I'm being more critical of what we've seen so far because mm. I did love the original, like you said it was this kind of out of nowhere hit that kind of like proved how good a multiplayer first person shooter VR game could be. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I just kind of expect too much from the franchise Mm. because that was such a 
revelation for me personally. We have had a bunch of games that have done that same thing since. Um, so I, I don't I don't know. I don't really know what's mm, going to go on. We will keep an eye on it. Um, sea of Stars is out on the 29th of August. This is by far my most anticipated game. Just, uh, just an absolutely gorgeous JRPG. It's made by Sabotage Studio, who did The Messenger, which is also one of my favorite 2D games. Um, probably ever, to be honest. It's up there with Shovel Knight. It's one of those absolutely immaculate games. The Messenger itself is like one of my most... I can't recommend that game enough. It's like two games in one. It's, um, it starts as like a standard sort of 2D action platformer. And about halfway through, it just becomes a Metroidvania. It just switches and all the level designs change. And then you're um, doing more like fetch questy type stuff to go and explore things in different ways and mop everything else up. There's a really cool time dynamic in there where you're Ooh. going between all these different... Um, you're going between the past and the future and the levels change and everything. It's just so effing cool. It's so well written. The music slaps. I love it. I love the studio so much. And Sea of Stars was just them going like, oh, we had a breakout hit. Messenger did really, really well. Let's do our dream JRPG. Let's do like a Chrono Trigger style JRPG um, with a really cool turn-based combat system. But you have all these different combo moves. So you're setting off different chains of attacks and everything. And um, the demo is out, I think, on every system, but I played it on Switch. Just beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. Exactly what you thought it would be. Um, just extremely well written, super charming. Like I said, gorgeous music. And I just I just can't wait for it. It's that style of JRPG or that, um, that level of JRPG that hardly anyone actually fully hits. Even Octopath Traveler, for as much as I like both of those games, um, they don't have the party dynamic. Like you're mm. moving, like you're doing one story at a time. And like Octopath, I guess Oct- Octopath probably is the most recommendable modern JRPG but it's one of those things where because they don't have the team all talking around a bonfire or whatever they do have like some crossover team scenes but they're like weirdly like vignettes they sort of like darken the screen and have a couple of characters talk it just doesn't feel right like in Final Fantasy you're moving as a team like it just has it needs to have that vibe like a bunch of people on an adventure Fellowship of the Ring style and that's what Sea of Stars has which is the missing part of Octopath at least for me Um, but it's the gameplay it's the presentation it's just all that stuff Um, that's out on the 29th I just can't wait. Looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Like, you know, watching some gameplay of it this morning and flicking through a bunch of trailers for it. Like, visually, it's spectacular. Yeah. I loved all of the environments that we saw in the pre-release stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it looks, like, imaginative. It looks big. The scope seems massive. You describing it there as, like, the developer's dream game yeah. makes a lot of sense based on what I've seen so far. I hope it's really good for you. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, that's only a couple of weeks away. Oh, no, like a month or so away. But Under the Waves is also out on the 29th of August, a game that only got shown off in the last sort of couple of months or so. Um, which I'm... It's one of those games that I was initially super intrigued by and it's like a third person diving game and it seems like it's a mystery thing you play as a dude called Stan mm-hmm. and you're um, going underwater and finding all these different secrets and everything um, I think that looks awesome but at the minute because it's mystery based I'm like I'm just going to wait yeah. and whatever you uncover down there I'll just wait and see but it seems like it's um, coming together really well I think you also saw the trailers and stuff I right? really did you know when it was initially shown off uh, mm. the other month it probably was announced before then but you know that's when it was first on yeah. my radar Same. which is the most important thing it is not really um, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, yeah, I thought it was really intriguing. You know, I don't know if it's going to be amazing, mm. but it got me interested, especially in this year, mm-hmm. which has kind of been defined by um, deep sea horror. You know, I was going to say dredge. And yeah, whatnot, yeah. They well, obviously there's there's dredge, which predates the whole um, Ocean Gate sub stuff. But oh, I feel yeah, like all the Ocean Gate stuff has only boosted anything underwater based. Like there's that new thing on Netflix about going as deep as you possibly can. Is there? And I was like, you guys have just put, pulled the. Tra- I you know that whole idea that Netflix always have the vault and they right. just put stuff out that like lines up with things. I was just I feel like all the Ocean uh, Ocean Gate stuff happened with the sub, and they were like, get something about depths, put that on yeah, Netflix, yeah, yeah, just yeah, do yeah. it. Um, and there's another game, uh, Dave the Diver, that keeps doing the rounds. Um, 
it's not on console yet, but Dave the Diver is doing the rounds on Steam. Um, and I just feel like diving horrors of the deep type stuff yes. is, this is kind of the year for it. Um, initially because of something like Dredge, but then obviously real life sort of uh, made people interested in that idea anyway. But yeah, Under the Waves is out on the 29th. I think it's more of a, um, a personal story that as opposed to something you find down there. I don't think even necessarily think it's a horror. Um, but that framing is still something that I just want to explore when yeah. I finally have time. I saw that yeah. the Steam page like describes it as a, as a game about grief, which yes. I'm always here for. I know it's published by Quantic Dream. I don't think it's developed mm. by Quantic Dream, but I was like, that's the best weird. thing they put their name to in like a decade. Hopefully, I hope it. I hope it's really good. That's mm-hmm. the one I'm going to be keeping a close eye on towards the end of the month mm-hmm. in terms of maybe it being a, a breakout hit. Like I'm, I'm, I know you shouldn't get this excited about games, <laughs> but I'm kind of secretly hoping this is one of those sleeper critical darlings that you know just kind of becomes an instant game of the year list kind of contender. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's putting too much pressure on it. I think it's going to be uh, mysterious and fascinating, even if it isn't, you know, a top tier game, just because of the setting, just because of the setup mm-hmm. and what you're doing. It just seems like interesting enough and different enough to mm-hmm. capture my attention. Yeah, man, that's the thing. I, it's one of those ones where I, I hope it's like a four to six hour, nice little designed to be finished game yeah. that just hits you really well and it, it stays memorable and everything. Um, but yeah, that's something that's also on the same day as Sea of Stars, so I'm not going to touch it for like two months or something. <laughs> we'll see. Um, speaking of things that we hope are good, Daymare 1994 Sandcastle is out yes. on the 30th of August. I hadn't even heard of this game. Um, you wrote it down, I checked out a trailer. It's like a third person. It reminded me a lot of Callisto Protocol. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, I hope this is good. I just, I want third person horror. Just please give me work third-person horror, please. Like, the thing with this game is that it the original Daymare was called, <laughs> I think, Daymare 1998. Daymare. I think it came out in 2020, right. uh, and, and it didn't review well at all. No. Like, it got really mixed reviews, some absolute just outright bad reviews, um, but I kind of wanted it to be good. So when this prequel, I think it is, was announced and a new trailer dropped yesterday mm. uh, over on the PlayStation channel, I mm. kind of jumped in hoping for the best, and I was kind of impressed by what I saw. I thought the gameplay looked really interesting. It's like a cross, in my opinion, between Resident Evil 2. I mean, it's kind of literally just got the Resident Evil 2 um, menus, the item menus. (laughs) But it kind of has like a bit of... Mass Effect 2's gameplay in there? Mass Effect 3's gameplay? Okay. In my opinion, from the way the shooting looks and from some of the um, elemental attacks Mm. that you can kind of pull off Mm -hmm. against the enemies. So... It kind of, it looks a bit weird. It looks a bit janky. (laughs) But sometimes, as has been proven this year, my favorite games are ones that look a bit weird and look a bit janky. Yeah, I think with the increasing exhaustive feel around the AAA space, like it is nice to just rest, to relax into a a game that is trying to be a 7 or 8 out of 10 that doesn't need that extra gloss. Can just nail a set of mechanics. It reminds me a little bit of Evil West, where it's just that you know exactly what you were making and it's a bang on 8 out of 10. It reminds me a little bit, tragically, of something like Resident Evil Operation. Raccoon City, <laughs> and I hope it doesn't err on that side of things. No. It manages to be more Resident Evil 2. So yeah, this is this is a fun one because it's not one that I have high expectations for at all. Yeah. But we'll be watching to see if it reviews well and if it reviews better than the original did. I'm excited to kind of take the plunge on something a little bit strange. Hopefully it can't be any worse than Callisto Protocol. That was an unbelievable letter. Well, here's the thing. At the very least, I think Daymare 1994 Sandcastle. Uh, what a horrible name. <laughs> what? 
What a horrible name. But because of that horrible name, it doesn't look boring. Whereas <laughs> the Callisto Protocol, for all of its faults, for all of the things mm. it did kind of well, its main issue for me was that it was just boring. Yeah. Like boring to play, boring presentation, boring story. Uh, and hopefully, even this, if this game is bad... It's not boring. It's bad in like an interesting way. It gave me uh, the suffering vibes as well, which is one of my favorite games of all time that has just never made a comeback, never been re-released or whatever, but was a great horror game on the PS2. Um, the last thing I had down, which just never released it, is just Crossfire Sierra Squad, which I think is another PSVR game. It is. It is. I'll only briefly touch on this. Uh, for the two first-person shooting PSVR games that are coming out in August, mm-hmm. this is the one that has my attention. Um, as I'm led to believe, it's like a proper single-player first-person shooter. And from what they've showed off so far, it looks really explosive, it looks really tactile, it looks really um, engrossing. Mm -hmm. So this is the one that I do have high hopes for, whereas I want to be pleasantly surprised by Firewall Ultra and for it to exceed my low expectations. This is the one I'm kind of banking on being good Mm. because I I can't live in a world where both the first-person shooters for PSVR coming out in August (laughs) are bad. So one of them at least has to be good, and I'm I'm hoping it's uh, this one because it's been ages since I played like a first-person shooter in VR that since has Blood and Truth, a, yeah, a robust story mode mm. or single-player offering. Like mm-hmm. Blood, Blood and Truth was really good, mm-hmm. but even that had its limitations. Like it wasn't free roaming; you were pressing against cover that you were kind of warping to. You didn't have right, that full right. range of mo- motion. Mm-hmm. And I hope this kind of gives you that, um, because I just I'm, I'm I'm beyond now the point-and-click movement in yeah, VR games. The- I want that full. Um, 360 kind of ability. Same warping to stuff in VR just absolutely sucks. Yeah, it's just it's not a good thing. Yeah, I'm curious about the uh, the Crossfire name because Crossfire X was that the horrible thing that uh, Remedy was sort of contractually uh, asked to work on, and um, that I'm sure was delisted or deleted or whatever because yeah. it sold so badly. Um, and the Crossfire just isn't a thing over here, but I know that it's massive. I think it's in China that it's massive. There's some huge Eastern region where it's just a big deal. Um, it's kind of like their Call of Duty almost, and like they keep trying to make Crossfire work over here, and it just hasn't been able to. Take off, but maybe Sierra, Sierra Squad is the one that at least does it for PSVR. Um, but at the minute, it's TBA, so I don't know if it's all held up in all the various wranglings that I mean it's just infinitely delayed or something. That's um, but we'll have to keep an eye on it. Yeah, that's why I'm kind of a little bit worried because obviously, <laughs> you know, the trailers look really good, mm-hmm. but the Crossfire name is not <coughs> one that I put too much it's into after Crossfire X. Hey. Yeah, very, very good. So like maybe we do have a reality <laughs> where both of these games are bad in August, but I want to end this podcast on a positive note. Yes. I hope that both of them isn't. Yes, me too. You've got Blasphemous too, and I've got Sea of Stars regardless, which we've both been massively looking forward to. Exactly. We've yeah. got something. And in this month of gaming free hits, you know, after I've played <laughs> the likes of Fight Club the Game and Alone in the Dark 2008, Look, I don't, this, anything's going to be amazing. This, that's, we, we don't talk about that in, in real life. No. That's, the, that's, your little, that's your little special time. <laughs> Fight Club and getting all involved in those things. Um, but yeah, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott, blah, 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 Scott Tailford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tailford. As the coffee hits I'll attend to put sentences together and we'll catch you later bye bye hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.